0: a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love I am nothing if I give away all my possessions And if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things love never ends. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesize only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love, the word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: Make me unselfish Without being mine Though I may suffer I'll envy it not And into it comes Cause he's all I got And I tell him Tell him I need him Tell him I love him It'll be alright Tell him, tell him I need him Tell him I love him, it'll be alright Now I may have faith to make mountains fall But if I lack love, I'm nothing at all I can give away everything I possess left without love and I have no happiness I know I'm imperfect and not without sin but now that I'm older all childish things must end so tell him uh, tell him I need him tell him I love him uh, everything's gonna be alright Tell him, tell him, tell him I need him Tell him I love him, and it'll be alright knowledge on earth but if I speak wrong what is it worth see what we now know is nothing compared to the love that was shown when our lives were spared so tell me The am
2: And I want to kind of talk about this, I don't mean to get down on it, but I have more of a realistic view about it. And uh, if you're into marketing, you'll know what marketing does. The marketing is basically they will create a problem and then sell you a solution and make money, right? That, that's what they do. That's what marketing is. So therefore, when we have bottled water, there was no problem drinking out of the tap when I was a kid, but somehow we created a problem and sell you a solution to a billion-dollar business. The same thing with the cell phone, correct? My wife drove cross country with no phone. My parents traveled all over Europe with no phone. But somehow the cell phone is neat. So I look at Valentine's Day. Somehow we create this need that hey, you don't show appreciation to your loved one, so let's make a day out of it. And I find out that it's a great marketing tool because it pulls an $18.2 billion in eighteen point two billion dollars in. For that weekend. That is $136.37 per person. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Now, I don't do Valentine's, I never have. And when I said that last night, last night and Saturday, everyone was looking for Jennifer, going, Oh, you're married to a wicked man that doesn't do this. <laughs> That's fine. But it's fascinating because I do, it reminds me, I've done weddings for 30 some years. And every wedding that I do, they have the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, including my wedding. Now, this is a picture. of The first wedding I did was in 1990. It wasn't a picture of the wedding. The couple named Joe and Susie, they live in Grants Pass, Oregon. And they're still happily married, travel all over Europe. I have two children that are way out of college and are in their upper 20s. And so I'm excited about that. But in 1 Corinthians, it's interesting. Unfortunately, we use this love chapter to read during the ceremony. And we all have this read in in our wedding. But unfortunately, it's not what it's for. It's really interesting to me. In fact, if you look on the screen, we take arguably the most profound passage in Scripture and make it about this romantic love. And so, what's interesting, if we don't have romance in our marriages, then we hear this statement, because I heard this many times when I was dating I love you, but I'm not in love with you. What does that mean? I'm not romantically into you because the romance is over, it's done with, it's dead. And so, therefore, in our culture, again, we sell the romance as the primary function of any relationship rather than the secondary part of the relationship. And so therefore what happens is we market this. So I Google everything. I Google traffic, I Google things, and when I get in a discussion with my wife and I I think she's wrong, I'll Google it right there, and I go, doggone, I'm wrong again. And so this is what Google says about romantic love. you google characteristics of romantic love. Romantic love is characterized by an intense passion, pleasure, emotions, and sexual desires. Romantic love is based on a fantasy. We project our ideal onto the person whom we are in love. Romantic love breaks down healthy barriers because it causes us to lose ourselves and focuses on the happiness and fulfillment of the other partner. Romantic love is a fantasy. It breaks down once we begin to see the person is actually human and false and not the ideal we projected. So I get this all the time when in counseling situations that they say the romance is not there anymore. And then what they do is they read some kind of survey that other couples are like a bunch of rabbits and it's not fair to them. But the thing is you have to understand this is the definition what Paul is saying. This is what true love is all about. This is what true godly love is all about. And this is what real love is. See, there's many times during that, with the exception of this year, that uh, a, a guy or a woman would come into my office and say, I can't stand my spouse, or I can't stand my partner. I can't stand him right now. And then, then they use all kinds of names, and then I hear this all the time. And guess what? It's Valentine's coming up. What am I going to do? And I go, oh, that sucks for you right now, doesn't it? That's why you create a problem and sell a solution. Get one of those uh, Hallmark cards that say the truth. I love you like a migraine headache. You know, it's stuff like this. Or death does part, death is looking good. You know, those, <laughs> those nice little Hallmark cards you can actually send. But I believe every relationship can be healed. And so follow me on the screen. Real love is the only thing that never fails and it never ends, according to Scripture. It never ends and never fails. And so this is to me that how do we know that we have real love within the body of Christ? How do we know that we have real love with one another or in our relationships that we're people that we're closest to? Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians on the screen, love is patient, love is kind, it's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so if you look at this, the characteristics that Paul says this is what love is, and I put it on the screen, it's simply three things. It's patient, It's kind and rejoice in the truth. Boom, that's it. That is the definition of love for one another. That is the kind of love in friendships, relationships within the body of Christ that's going to last forever. Then he gives this characteristic on what love is not, which is a much longer list. And it says this. It's on the screen. Love is not envious, boastful, Arrogant, rude, demanding, self-centered, irritable, resentful, and does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And I look at this and I go, wow. So what is the main ingredient to what love is not? And I looked at the consistency here and I go, oh, I get it. It's, it's ego. When the ego is really involved in a situation or an argument... This is what it produces within a relationship or friendship or within the body of Christ. And so to me, these negative characters that if I learn to let go of the ego and let go of the situation, whether it's my love for my father, which is something I have to work on consistently, because when I say, well, I have a right to be bitter, I have a right to be resentful, I have a right... Ooh, there's my ego kicking in. There's where the self-centered, the irritability, The resentfulness comes in, the the rude, the arrogance, and the boastfulness kicks in. I believe, I don't know, I can't pronounce the word acriments. When you take a word and you break down the letters, like Bible, uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, you know, just stuff like this. And so I broke down love, leave out the vast ego. Get rid of it. Because I'm telling you right now, if you want to work out a situation with someone, both of you remove the ego. it'll work out. It will really work out, and so God does not have this ego problem because I look at this First Corinthians thirteen. I go, "Dang, dude, that's the love that I, that God has for me." Thank goodness He's not He's not rude with me, or arrogant with me, or resentful towards me. That's the last thing I want is to have God resentful towards me. And so back on the screen, it's patient, kindness, and the truth. That's what God is with us. That's how we need to be with each other. And so he gives this profound message, this passage in the Bible, back on the screen. To begin to understand love is to begin to understand God because God is love. And to understand love is to also understand who we are meant to be because we are made in the image of God. (laughs) Love is more patient for us. And when, when there's patience, there's unconditional love. It's hard to love each other unconditionally, isn't it? Look at me. It's hard to love me unconditionally. You know that, right? You know, in fact, I, uh, Saturday night service, uh, I, again, I, I really think I'm the easiest person to live with. And um, so I kind of said that in the Saturday night service, and it was dead silence. Like, they're going, no, you're not. So I go, how do you know how to live with? And the obviously they've been around me long enough that I, I do irritate people.
1: <laughs>
2: and I don't mean it. You know how you think you're the easiest person because and you get irritated because people don't think the way you think? And your logic is your logic and it doesn't make any sense to anybody else? That's me, I'm the poster child of it. <laughs> and so this is where I looked at this, because if you look at remember I was talking about Jesus' first sermon. And I was talking about, about my first sermon, it was back in 1985, and my dad was emotional, he gave me a hug, people applauded, great sermon. It wasn't a great sermon, they just had low expectations when I first preached. And so what was interesting, you look at Jesus' first sermon, did you hear what the, what the result of his first sermon? He was dragged out of the synagogue, taken to a cliff, and they tried to push him off. Now, if that was my first sermon, I would say, you know, I'm not gifted in preaching right now. Or I've got to learn this. (laughs) Because they, they had conditional love for Jesus. Because they loved it when he taught about how the Jewish were being oppressed and how they need to be set free and stuff like this. But what he does, Jesus talks about foreigners, people that they didn't like. Look at verse 25. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, and when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, there were severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at some place in Sidon. There was also many lepers of Israel in the time of the prophets, Elijah, and none of them were cleansed except Neman and Syria. So he's talking about two people that are foreigners. And so, therefore, they're going, he didn't do that. There's no way he's talking about foreigners. And their love was evident that it was very conditional. See, this is where the human ego kicks in. Two concerns on the screen. We always want to be right, don't we? We are a nation that wants to be right. Whatever your belief systems, you're right. Everyone else is wrong. And the second one is protecting me and what's mine. And so therefore, we feel safe around people that are like-minded like us. And therefore, we get groups of co- that, together and we say, well, they are the enemy. Now, I decided, I thought of doing this. And my mind is crazy because I thought, how can I get the congregation to love me one minute and then hate me the second minute? And I was going to use an illustration and just kind of have you guys sit on it. And I go, you know what? I would empty half the congregation out. But if I would start a discernment that said, Donald Trump is God's anointed one, and we should accept and love him. Or Hillary Clinton is, is God's anointed one, whom we should love and cherish. All of a sudden, your love, for me, would go, right? However you feel about the political situation that we live in. Because it's not what we say. And that's what Jesus did. He challenged their way of thinking. And that was amazing because Jesus did this, and their love for each other was very conditional, and Jesus was not about that. So so let's shift to what it means to be living the godly love in our lives. Follow me on the screen. Living in the real love requires intentional faith choices. The most important of those faith choices is a choice to put your trust in Jesus, to guide your life. Every faith choice is met by God's grace to empower the choice. The faith choice is like raising your sail. Grace is like the wind that catches the sail and propels you forward. Do you guys believe that Jennifer chooses daily to love me? Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's a choice. It's not a feeling. Because we have to understand that for longevity. We'll be married 19 years next month. That's crazy. (laughs) Yes, we're going to have a statue of Jennifer, St. Jennifer, and you can just bless her. We've got St. Jennifer things on the mirror, St. Jennifer things that you can hang on the wall, stuff like that. Pray to St. Jennifer, and then your life will be good. The first thing we have to do is make the shift is first is cultivate an open-heartedness. That's something that we have to choose to do. Now if I call you Dyson, or if I call you Hoover, and you go, why is he calling me Dyson and Hoover? It's after a vacuum cleaner because you suck the life out of me every time I'm with you. Okay? You ever do that? Thanks, Dyson. (laughs) Am I the only one who's done that? (laughs) okay I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that then Okay, but the thing is this is where some people do suck the life out of you and you know in their presence that you have to create an openness especially to be a pastor especially to be in ministry you have to have an openness and love for people and you have to choose to love love the person it's a choice it's not based on a feeling and so you have to be open to whatever. And when the heart, the ego is not involved and the heart is involved, then we begin to care about the person for who they are. And then it begins to be unconditional when your heart leads you rather than your ego. You know, it's interesting that if you've been hurt in any type of relationship, you know there needs to be time for healing you know you need a proper perspective because if you don't deal with the trauma in your life from a childhood or relationships in the past, that you'll bring them right into relationships and new relationships. And so this is where it's important to have people that are safe. Do you have people that are safe to be around with? My whole prayer is that when we come to church, we can feel safe. That is my prayer. That means the whole congregation needs to be safe. And how we say if we're led by the heart, not with our ego. That's important. That you accept my flaws, I accept your flaws. I rejoice when you rejoice, you rejoice when I rejoice. And so this is where it's important to be intentional. The second one is we've got to cultivate what's called a contemplative prayer life. This is where if you, when you take the, um, the grace track, we spend a half a day just in showing you on contemplative prayer life, which we call the three S's. The first S is simply this, is stillness. We don't like to be still. It's hard for us to be still, be thinking about stuff, and all of a sudden, sometimes we sit in church and go, what are we doing in the Super Bowl? What are we going to do this? Are we are going to do this? When's the pastor going to stop? He's really boring. He's doing all this. He's going on and on with this stupid thing, on and on joke. you know. And so therefore, our minds go everywhere. And so stillness is so important that we be still and know what? That he is God. That's what the scripture says. The next one is solitude, alone with God. There's times in our prayer life <laughs> where in a 405 freeway and say, please, no jerks. Good luck in that prayer, okay? But sometimes it's important to be solitude where you're alone with God. And one of the things on the learn about prayer is 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes... Uh, on two periods of days where you just sit in quietness and solitude with, with the Lord. See the thing is this someone said this and I put this on the screen. God's first language is silence. Have you ever experienced God's silence when you're going through a struggle? You know that's intentional for God? Because I've seen this when it comes to a child, when it comes to a child that's hurt, that they run to their father, they run to the mother, which is safe, and just bawl their eyes out. And that parent will say nothing. It will just comfort. And sometimes we need to experience the presence of God at that moment, at that time, where we can take these deep breaths, you know how children do, you know, and stuff like that, that we can do the same thing in the presence of God. This is where, when we are silent, we begin to hear God's beloved words, that God is love. And so Jesus modeled these three S's in his own prayer life as well. The third one, that you, which we have to get, is cultivate gratitude. We are the most ungrateful nation on the planet at times. Why is gratitude so difficult for us to be in? In fact, back on the screen, we have so much, but we complain so much about how little we have. Jennifer and I, when we went to Sudan, we experienced more joy in that village than we have ever in the United States. They have nothing. There's an attitude of gratitude, it's overwhelming. You want to be there. And the last day we're there, Jennifer goes, I want to stay here because it's gratitude. And I said, you know what color we are? We're white. And it's 118 degrees every day. We're going to be dead of skin cancer in about three months. (laughs) Okay? There's no electricity, nothing. It does give you joy, but we're not going to be alive. And so... This is where it's intentionally cultivate the gratitude, get rid of the resentment, get rid of the entitlement. Last point on the screen. So where is the love? Raise the sails of open heartedness, a contemplative prayer life and a gratitude and catch the wind, a wind of God's grace. Soon you will be sailing in the right direction and find the real love you need. May God bless you, may the Rams win, and have a great day.